This is Ink Bottle, a podcast about creativity, parenting, and creative parenting. There we go. Got it in one. <laughs> we got it in one again. <laughs> is it ever not going to be funny when I get it right? No, I don't know. We figured it out it's, on the fly, and I think we deserve yeah, I respect think it's for a, that. It's, it's also hilarious to, to have you do the <laughs> podcast intro. Like, it's just so funny to me. It is funny. What's so funny about it? No, just, it is actually very funny. Don't try to put me on the spot. <laughs> don't do that. It's quite hilarious. We are your hosts, Daniel Jose Older. And Brittany and Williams. And this is still Ink Bottle. It is. A podcast. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, we have a couple things to talk about today. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to start by talking about Tito. Oh, because um, the last episode, we told y'all about how he is starting daycare. Yes. And uh, what a big change that is. Huge. Now it's been three weeks and or so, give or take. Uh, it's, it's been, a, it's been More than some that. time. It's been a couple weeks. And man, on Friday, you know, we got there. We put him down. And this kid waved at us and ran yeah, off. He was like, deuces. He's like, I've got frolicking <laughs> okay, in the fields to do. But also, like, he has friends now, he so all friends. his little friends, like, rolled up on us, like, hey! Yeah, we walked in with him, and they were like, oh, we Tito's here! immediately swarmed by toddlers. It was adorable um, and alarming. Not for us, but for our son. <laughs> right. So, I think they're, cu- they're curious know. about us. <laughs> like, why do these tall people know our names? <laughs> <laughs> but, but he's having a blast. Yeah, he's having a really good time, and mm-hmm. I have to say, like, it feels really good. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how it would feel, and I'm just really, really happy. Yeah, it's I mean, I'm I'm struggling on and off, but yeah, mostly I know that it's good for him. He's having so much fun. He's learning a lot. And yeah, and he's learning so many things and socializing and making friends. And it's like he gotten to the point where, you know, us keeping him home all day, every day was just, you know, he was getting bored. Yeah, we're not that we're fun, but I don't think we're that much. Fun. I mean, like, we're not fellow <laughs> two-year-old's right. fun like we're not toddler fun you know? I, I do think like we've played with him a lot like and i think he's good, he's good at play you know like I've, that's clear yeah. from how he interacts and i mean all, all toddlers hopefully are um but i do but it's also a skill that you practice you know and like mm-hmm. I, i'm happy to know we've given him a lot of practice in that. yeah and i mean and it's not like a knock a dig against us or our parenting or anything that he he was bored it just it just is what it is like yeah you know you you teach someone as much as you can solo and then they need to become part of a community exactly that's a perfect so, way to look at it yeah. another point of pride i have is that he you know we've been doing um like i've been teaching him how to use the force obviously and he <laughs> you know he's good at doing the thing he's been good at doing the thing where he like goes yeah and then I'll like fall down or like mm-hmm. fly backwards against the wall or do something equally dramatic and he gets a big kick out of it. And then I only just barely get time to get up before he does it again. Mm-hmm. And he goes, Nyah! and then I, you know, and that gets him all riled up. And that's, that's all like fun and games. And I've really, it's really adorable that he does that. But what's really cool is now when I do it to him, <laughs> he goes flying backwards. Oh, yes, he does. <laughs> like, that's, I feel like that's a big, it. that's a milestone in play. Is yeah. when you don't have to be the one that's always like winning and force choking someone else. Like you can get force thrown across a room too. Yeah, not across a room, just but he. Oh yeah, he to, falls be clear, out, right. to be clear, to be clear, he falls out. And he's always on the bed too when we do yeah. this game. So he just goes ah, 
like topples. He's, he's very dramatic. It's, very, a, it's, I, it's hilarious. It's really adorable. It is really adorable. So. And it, his imagination is already on 10, mm-hmm. which I love. And, you know, yep. he's doing his thing. I'm proud of him. It's great. It's really cute. Yeah. So that's our parenting update. Mm. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> we should have a, th- a little like, sound. <laughs> oh, some transition music. <laughs> no, a sound effects thing. <laughs> Bonk. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh God, what was that that dude who had the, um? he probably still has the show. The like, he would just like very manically run around his studio talking about financial stuff and pressing all kinds of sound effect buttons. <laughs> oh my God, CNBC yes. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, but that's hilarious. No, I was yeah. thinking of the, remember the guy from Spaceballs that did all the sound effects? Oh, the guy from Police Academy. Yeah, the guy from also the guy, don't say it like, yes, yeah, that I, guy too. I mean, yes. <laughs> the, I mean, he's known from Police Academy and he was on. Yeah, Police Academy came first, but Spaceballs he is was the in superior Spaceballs movie. doing his Police Academy bit. <laughs> yeah. But yes. <laughs> really? Was. that's so true hey remember that guy of course i remember <laughs> yes <laughs> that guy <laughs> or just all those we like need, we need to reach out to him and have him on the show yes and just as do, a guest and a, a running guest <laughs> but also don't they do that on a lot of like morning shows they just have a guy that's got a like a keyboard full of dumb sound effects and they're like Wait. they all have the keyboard right. it's like they you know <laughs> so the, annoying. i hope we never attain that level just wait just wait don't <laughs> don't give me that kind of power it'll be tito <laughs> <laughs> it'll be me <laughs> right anyway um housekeeping notes um we did a really good episode just for paid subscribers and i almost felt bad about it but you know give me your money like, don't, <laughs> don't, that bad. don't do that <laughs> <laughs> it's but i just i went into it being like oh, this is gonna be another great episode i think it was probably our best episode it's <laughs> so interesting like i learned a lot we were talking about beginnings it was a follow-up to our beginnings conversation this is an ad yeah it is Th- but this it's is an ad it's just a paid advertisement mm-hmm. for me for yeah. us <laughs> just to be clear we're married so if you're if you're subscribing to my Substack, Brittany also gets that money <laughs> right just just to be clear but yeah, I, I just wanted to say that's a really good episode with a lot of juicy information about writing and and how to write beginnings and you should listen to it. That's all. Yeah. How much how much are the subscriptions, Daniel? Subscriptions, unfortunately, are $5. I was really trying to make it too. You cannot make a Substack subscription less than $5. It turns out, I found out last night as I was putting together my newsletter, you can't do that. So that sucks. But it's $5, which is, you know, uh, two cups of coffee. <laughs> one cup of coffee for real one cup of coffee one <laughs> cup, cup of fancy co- coffee a cup of coffee and a tip <laughs> <laughs> exactly a cup of black coffee <laughs> no sweeteners no right. no syrups no add-ins and how many of those and- do you drink a month <laughs> rest of my case um but anyway enough about that uh let's talk about writing uh today mm-hmm. we're going to talk about the dreaded well i don't know if it's dreaded it's dreaded to me i we're mean gonna- honestly each, Each part section, has its yes. own like dread yes. factor, but this is—I think this is the part that trips people up the most. Middles, we're talking about middles. Yes, middles are legitimately the hardest part. I don't care right. what anybody else says. Well, yeah. No, I, I was being facetious. I lo- everyone, everyone has their own opinion about what's hard. I get—I'll put it to you this way. I'll make the argument. Beginnings and endings are really hard, but they have a really clear set, as we discussed mm-hmm. in the bonus episode, uh, of what you what they need to do, and yeah. middles are less clear. And that's what makes them so hard. I'll say I find beginnings are the hardest. Mm. Endings are the most exciting. Mm. Middles are what can break you. Middle, I think more agreed. More books get put down in the middle 
Both by writers and by readers. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Because it's the doldrums. Like if you if you aren't careful with it, it's the doldrums. Yeah. And that's you know, death. I mean, remember we were talking about not boring your reader by having your characters bored? The middle is where people get bored. Whether the characters are bored or not. And that's why they're so hard. And it's not an easily defined because there is no isn't as clear a mandate for the middle. It's like, and also there isn't as clear a sense of like when they begin and when they end, you know, like Mm -hmm. the ending obviously ends at a very clear point because it's the end of the book, the beginning, likewise for the beginning part. And they also, there's also very, usually a a sense, like a plot point where the beginning will end as we talked about that most important point. And, and then, you know, the beginning begins, I mean, the middle begins and then the ending, you get that sense of like, all right, we in it, you know, this is the climax, here we go. But the middle's just like, ooh, it's vague, it's sloshy, it's dangerous. It, I mean, it uh, it is the it it's the largest chunk of the book. Right. And that's part of the um, problem. And it can feel like you are just treading water. Right. And then it can and then and, and the reader can feel that way too. And it can feel like there's no end in sight. You can kind of get lost. You can get sidetracked into mm-hmm. stuff that's mm-hmm. like doesn't matter. Um, it just it it gets it's it's the middle of it's like when you're running a marathon. It's that like the longest middle slog. You can't see the beginning anymore. Right. Like you can't right. see the starting line. Right. You can't see the finish line. So you just don't. There comes a point where you're just moving. You're, you're exhausted. Yeah. You know, eventually you're going to get to the end and there's always this like voice that's like, well, you know, you could also just like tap out. You could just tap out. <laughs> stop reading. Like you're, you're, you're not, not, you said stop. Reading or writing. No, I'm talking about, I'm not both. talking about it from a reader's point of All view. All of these like, things work I'm for I'm just both. talking about it from a writer's point yeah, of view. Yeah, that too, that too. Because like a reader can tap out, it's fine. Put books you don't like, put it down, go read something else. Life right, is too right. short. But when you're a writer and like this can happen with a book that you are extremely excited to write, to start and to finish, right. you can still hit the middle of the book. Right. And hear that voice that is telling you this is this is too hard this is too painful Mm -hmm. why don't we just we could just tap out we can just work on something else right remember that other idea you had and the beginning the new beginning that you're excited to write why don't you go work on that don't you want to draw comics instead (laughs) well that's (laughs) quiet as it's kept right Right. but it's it's really um and it it gets scary because you start to wonder if you can even make it to the finish line you start to question whether Mm -hmm. the the ideas will carry you all the way to the end of the story Mm -hmm. um you start getting in your head about word count sometimes Mm -hmm. um for me the Mm -hmm. rough part and for a lot of people the rough part of the middle hits around like 20 25 30 words like that's when it starts to feel i mean yeah What, what percent are you talking I mm, I don't know percentage wise. But oh, that's interesting. It really goes by word count. Not yeah, by like, like when I when I've book. written that many words. Interesting. Yeah, because so when right. I look back at all of my like unfinished novel drafts, they're all right. <laughs> they're all right about that length. Like it, wow. it just it really falls apart around there. And it got to one point where like one year when I won NaNoWriMo, it's because I hit that <laughs> twenty thousand word point. And I was like, this isn't working. Let me start over. And I started over completely and wrote another like 25, 30,000 words on something else that was also unfinished. You wrote two beginnings. I did. But they added up. They did. I won, but I still lost. (laughs) 
Just win, like when I lost, losing. I still won. Lose by winning. <laughs> right? <laughs> win uh, by losing. <laughs> okay. Well, let's talk about, because this happened last time too, actually, when we were talking about beginnings, you were plotting out how to make your beginning work for the book that you're working on. Mm-hmm. And right now, we literally just went to lunch and we're talking about the middle of your book, even yeah. though you haven't started writing yet. Right. Or maybe because you haven't started writing yet, you're well, struggling with the middle. I am. I am. And, you Talk know, it's... Um, Tell us about your problems. So, right. Tell it all of my secrets. Um, but <laughs> y'all are spoilers. friends. Y'all are friends here. Yes. We're all friends here. Y'all will keep my secrets. Y'all are all... ND, by signing up for this podcast, you're ND8. Psych, no, that is not <laughs> legally valid. But um, yeah, it's the, um, so this idea of like the middle of your book being the fun and games portion, which is a terminology pulled from the Save the Cat methodology. Um, there's like Save the Cat for script writing and then Save the Cat for novel writing and all this stuff. So there's this idea that like the big chunk in the middle of your book it is, wait, I can tell you what percentage it's supposed to be when I look at my little thing. It is uh, from the 20% mark of your book to the 50% mark of your book. Right, and and just to jump in here, it bears noting that that's the, that is singular for its sheer amount. Every yeah. other beat that they talk about in Save the Cat is like yeah, a couple pages, maybe five pages yeah. tops, maybe 10, but this is like, Page th- in the script version, you know, it's like page 35 to page 50. Fun and games. And you're like, bah? Well, yeah. Like, if you think about, okay, so what? if you think about your novel being, let's just say, if, or if you look at a script, a script is like 100 pages. Mm-hmm. That means from page 20 to page 50, that's your middle or your fun and game section where it's like the promise of premise. Whatever your readers are coming to the book expecting in that, like, 20 to 50% of your book, that's when you deliver on those expectations. Mm-hmm. And, Bears noting, I think just for a second, Save the Cat is a great resource as it like provided that you don't treat it as a Bible. Right. Or right. as a strict like ten guidelines. 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 Real I find it really, really helpful. And then I always veer off, obviously. Yeah. But you have to I think it just needs to be said, like, use it. Cause, and then some people are like, oh, no, it's too mecha- mechanized or whatever. Yeah. Like, it can, it, Look, it depends what kind of writer you are. Mm-hmm. My brain really clicks with just having a little bit of structure that I can then be playful with, you know, like taking a solo over a 12-bar blues or whatever. I find that really helpful. Um, some people don't. It, I, it's always worth reading and just learning how other people do things. Yeah. Um, whether and, or not you're... Yeah, go ahead. And honestly, I find it more helpful with script writing. Yeah, definitely. Where you are, you know, you have to be brief. You have a hundred if you feeling real you know if you're feeling yourself a whole lot you got 120 pages but that's asking people a lot to sit there for two hours but you got a hundred or so pages to get through this entire story yeah so saying something like all right well from page 20 to 50 right this is what we gotta hit it gets a bit more um you can be a bit less prescriptive when it comes to writing a novel right um, especially because novel lengths can be so... So varied. Yeah. But what is great, too, about it is that it does provide a common language, right? So, like, yeah. when we're... When you and I or when me and whoever I'm teaming up with on a book are talking stuff, you know, it's so easy to be like, all right, what is the promise of the premise? Or, like, oh, we're stuck mm-hmm. here where the bad guys close in, potentially, but what if they don't? Or whatever, you know, there's yeah. a common there's a common language there. A lot of people use Save the Cat, and they find it more useful during the uh, revision process mm. than during the drafting process. Oh, that's so interesting, because I'm the opposite. Yeah. So some people do um, find it, and it can be a bit, it can be more helpful 
once you tell yourself the story that which is like basically the only job of the first draft to exist and to kind of tell yourself the story sure once you do that to go in and fill in the plot points that you need to to have that like solid structure or i think if you're sort of aware in a vague way that something's not right Mm -hmm. it can be really helpful to kind of lay it over on top and be like all right here's where things line up and i want them to here's where things don't and i also like that but here's a moment when it doesn't line up and there's the problem yeah it can really be helpful for like diagnostics yeah but you know right now i'm trying to use it to kind of launch me into drafting this current um this book uh but yeah it's just trying to figure out like what is the when I say promise of premise, like what is the expectation that my readers are coming in with and how do I deliver on that? Um, and it's diff- it's extra difficult because this is the closeout of a trilogy. So to a certain extent, like not only am I taking the individual book on this save the cat structure journey right. without within the entire arc of the three book section, this book falls in the like climax and denouement of the whole story denouement right so it's like this double it's it's kind of having um it's like looking through those like 3d glasses so like when i look through one side i'm seeing the story holistically from book one all the way to book three and then when i look through the other lens i'm seeing book three as its own individual thing so i keep tripping up on how to encapsulate both of those uh tasks at once Mm. so like promise of premise in book three but also uh the like how do i wrap up the entirety of this character's right story and arc right i'm struggling i'm struggling yeah and and the the fallout for that is that it stopped you from starting yeah well here's the thing though because all right so remember uh with book one i wrote the first draft it took me a while but that's okay um and the first draft was short and i edited up right and i more than doubled the word count of that one when I wrote book two, the first draft was almost twice the size of the first draft of book one. And I edited it up as well, but the edits were a lot. They were smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, I Like I said, when we were talking about beginnings, my, you know, with book one, the old chapter, the original chapter one became chapter four. Mm. Uh, and with book two, the original chapter one just needed another scene tacked onto the front. Mm-hmm. So... This is, I don't feel like I am in a worse place necessarily because I'm doing so much of the like writing work in my head. I'm still in like the pre-writing, well, right. not even pre-writing. Um, I just feel like once I get a handle on this and I actually put the words down, it's going to be a smooth process right. and the draft is going to be much cleaner for it. Right, right. And you. so you were bumping up against... I think this is going to be an ongoing conversation, this idea of comfort, right? But you were bumping, as you were getting ready to start and you felt like you were ready to start, you were bumping up against a discomfort. Something was jumping out at you in the plot as you had it that felt like it wasn't working to the degree that you knew you had to sort it before you could start. Mm -hmm. Because I don't, I also like, I need to start and I also don't have time to waste words. Right. And that, so both of those things are true. And I think that's an important thing to say because people are just like, well, I don't have time. I got to start. I just got to start. Right. And you could, I'm, there isn't a right answer to this, but don't assume that just because you're starting and you're, you knowing you're not fully ready, that you're going to be ahead of the game when you might be putting yourself behind the game. Yeah. And that, again, there's no right answer. Like 
it's hard to know, but I do think there, there is a right answer. There's a, I think there's a part of us that knows that there's some piece missing and that that's what we keep banging our heads against the wall. Unless physically, like mentally, I'm sure you can push through that and just be like, I know it does it hurts, but I'm going to keep going. I'm going to figure it out when I get there. But like, if, if it's that hard, it probably would you be doing yourself a favor to really get to get like investigate that mm-hmm. find that find it you know again diagnostically right like go yeah. along go along what you have down and test each part like just poke it a little bit and see what is it working does it feel all right you'll find the thing they'll, something will jump out and you'll be like wait yeah. is this and then you go into that okay is it in the beginning the middle or the end all right it's in the middle it's always yeah. in the freaking middle I'm, and then what yeah. do you do with it because right? my my end is i know the end is the end is good. The end is right. The end right. hasn't changed from when I sold this summary to my editor mm. uh, back in 2021. Like the end is the end. That's what I that. got that. It's just the getting to the end. And maybe it's because like to a certain extent, this entire book is a middle. Like it's not the it's not the middle, but it's like the the like landing of the like the beginning of the book. It's it's like still the middle of, of the, the story. story. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So and it's it's that That's later tricky. middle part that'll right. really trip you up when you gotta bring everything home exactly so maybe that's it y'all we just solved it i'm struggling because this book the beginning of the the book is the middle how how appropriate that today (laughs) is middles day my thing about middles is that the the one job that i think they do have very clearly is that it's it's their job is to set up the ending Mm -hmm. and that's a hard job in part because it's a lot more vague than like okay introduce the characters introduce the world introduce the conflict those are very clear like mandates right Set up the ending. First of all, if you don't know the ending, that makes it all the harder. And a lot of times we go into it maybe only having a very vague notion of the ending. For me, I'll find the ending will start to clarify as I'm writing the middle, which is exactly when I need it to clarify. So I'm sure that's not a coincidence that my brain is already reaching forward to kind of find those things. One thing that often gets me through the middle is finding a moment in the end. I don't need to know all the choreography of the end, but I usually need one beat that is so ridiculously badass or jacked up or something that the momentum of it will carry me towards it. And it feels like it's almost like fishing, you know, like Mm -hmm. you cast your line way out there and you get that one moment and then you got to make everything else like with shadow house fall. Right. I, that moment was really clear to me. Some, some part right in at some point right in the middle, I think early middle, probably, you know, I knew that I wanted Sierra at the very end to flip her hair back, have it covered in her face and flip it back and have a skull painted on her face. And that to be like this big, like, I got you moment. And then the action explodes around her, you know. Mm-hmm. And I just knew, like, if I could make that moment work, the rest of the book would work. Mm-hmm. Like, make it really work, not just like, yeah. you know, fake work, but like really justify it, work, work it into the, you know, the mythology and the world building. If everything made sense around that moment, the book would be bad. And and I'm by bad I mean good, and so I wrote <laughs> I wrote towards that moment. You know what I mean? Like everything. Once I knew that, that clarified the thread that I needed to pull in the middle to get me there. I, I, everything I was doing in the middle was work to make that moment work, and that can seem trivial and mm-hmm. sort of surface almost. But I think you would be mistaking surface for shallow. Mm-hmm. The surface is not shallow. The surface is the surface, right? The surface contains depths and the surface contains shallows. It's what you put underneath it that matters, right? Mm-hmm. So if you don't make the surface shallow, it won't be shallow. And that's what you yeah. have to do, right? So I don't think it automatically, like, by treading along a, a very visual, physicalized action moment, 
I don't think it automatically means that the book is not going to have like profoundness to it. Right. So I had that in mind as I was writing and that, that also gave me momentum. Mm -hmm. And I think like there is a direct correlation between the writer's sense of movement, excitement, joy, et cetera, and the readers. And it's not a direct one-to-one -one correlation, but it does mm -hmm. matter. Mm -hmm. I know if I'm bored, the reader's probably going to be bored too, you know? Yeah. I mean, but that's, you know, that's a given. Yeah. It's, it becomes tricky when you outline for me because like for a lot of that during that period particularly i was never outlining in part because i wanted to track that and if i didn't know what would happen next i could track the emotional journey of it and mm -hmm. be like well let me you know i'm wondering what's happening next too so i know my readers are going to be but now that i outline i have to kind of you know take that into account when, like factor it in like i know what's going to happen next so there are going to be periods where i'm like i know this I need the excitement of what's going to happen next to carry me forward. Whereas a reader is going to be the excitement of not knowing what happens next. Mm -hmm. And so it does, it does become, I think the equation becomes complex, but yeah. the point is set up. Are you going to say something? Well, no, I mean, what, when it comes to outlining, I yeah. used to believe that I didn't outline, but now I know that I do. <laughs> do you um, want to tell that story again? Uh, no, Did well, you already tell it on this podcast? No, I, I tell didn't. Oh, uh, Lord. I swore up and down that I was a pantser, and uh, yes. I was talking to Daniel, and I was like, I don't outline. I just write, you know, uh, descriptive chapter titles for all of my chapters that explains what happens <laughs> in that chapter, and he was like, that's an outline, and I was like, no, it's not. I was like, babe. <laughs> I was like, that's an outline. So um, I am a planner. I outline. Um, you fought me so hard on it, too. I did. Because we almost I had an argument. <laughs> up and down. I was, I was like, a planner. I was like, literally, what is the difference between that and an outline? I think well, that's because when you I, I've folded been, you know, my, my English class trauma yes. had outlines being is like A and then B and then C and then one. Right. And, you know, you know, the outline outline. Not for nothing, but I do think it's worth at one point someday talking about how English class trauma has also made it hard to discuss theme. Oh God, theme. <sighs> exactly. Anyway, it shouldn't. Yes. No. The, it's mm. Like you know, like yeah. theme is so important and it's so interesting, and we have all been so traumatized. I just think that theme is a very personal thing <laughs> for people. And anyway, this isn't about theme. No. Okay, we'll get to that. Um, one. Stick a pin. <laughs> but uh, like I, I, I use my outlines to basically write. I use it as like a. Those are the dots in my connect the dot pieces, and I write between. I like where I write between the dots. I think something that's cool about that story, though, is that you had hacked your own mind yeah, to do something that was helpful for your process without thinking of it in a, as something that would have been difficult for you to do. You just did it. As something, mm. You called it something else and you did it and I it mean, helped you. <laughs> like, there's yeah. a lesson there. I don't know exactly how no, we do there, it. But there is. There is. And you got, it just... I mean, names matter, first of all. And I think I think recognizing that we have certain associations with certain things yeah. that we need to like unburden ourselves of is important to do, you know. But also it, you know, if I call it an outline, if I call it just chapter titling, whatever, it doesn't matter. All that matters is that it works. Absolutely, exactly. So, no, one hundred percent. And that's that's what I'm saying. Like it should, yeah. it's gonna work for you. If it's not working for you, don't do it or figure out something else. Mm -hmm. But when I'm writing a middle, and I know I'm ha I have to set up the, the the job is to set up the ending. One other thing with that, this is gonna sound like a rule. It's not a rule. Some advice that I have, a suggestion that I have mm -hmm. that I myself have broken, so you can find it. You know, like but. Um, it's very rare. I'll put it like that. It's very rare that we can justify or have a good reason to have a lot of backstory at the beginning. It's hard to pull off. It may be in like snippets, but in terms of like showing a whole scene of like the past, like taking the narrative space to jump all the way back in time, 
like doing that at the beginning is a is a it's a heavy lift because mm-hmm. because the beginning has so much to do yeah. and one of the things the beginning has to do is shove us off into the middle right and create that mm-hmm. sense of momentum and if you are jumping back in time it's very hard to gather momentum it yeah. can be done and if it's right for your story you need to do it and you need to figure out how to do it but recognize that it's difficult the middle is different and it feels almost backwards because we've been talking about how much the middle can drag and the middle can drag but the middle is also pretty much the only place that you have enough open space because it has less obvious tasks in the narrative there's a little more room i think to be playful um to jump around in time to give us some of that backstory that we might you know need for the ending to make more sense mm-hmm. and again this can this can be played with like you might be setting up a backstory that will also climax in a flashback in the ending and that's fine, but you're doing some of the heavy lifting of it in the middle. And you'll notice in a lot of TV shows, like they won't do one of the, what they call a bottle episode sometimes, you know, that mm-hmm. when they just do a whole character's backstory and that's the episode. Yeah. That'll never be the first episode, almost ever. It usually won't no. be the, the second or the third either. Usually it'll come once we already care about the characters. We've They've already established the conflict, the world, everything that's at stake has been established so that then narratively it's a lot, there's a shorthand going on, there's a common language. Mm-hmm. When they jump back in time, we have an understanding of what's going on that will then propel us forward because a backstory, it has to have, it has to be a narrative unto itself. It can't just be a fragment. And yeah. it has to be very intimately and urgently connected to the front story mm-hmm. for it to be worthwhile, right? Mm-hmm. And what I'm saying is in the middle, there is a lot more space to do that very yeah. often. I mean, you have the real estate of the, the real estate. the entire book. Yeah, exactly. And and so that's something to keep in mind. That is also why middles can sometimes feel, you know, like long and whatever. Mm-hmm. But it is also a good use of middles if you're using it very intentionally to bring forward the urgency leading us into the climax to the end the main um thing i think of with middles is the images of bow and arrow because a bow and arrow is an instrument that exists based on tension and tension is really the key element that's going to get you through the doldrums of the middle and if your tension is is arrow sharp pointed at a very direct mark and that mark is launching us rapidly and intensely into the end then your middle will feel useful. It'll feel like things are going somewhere and the reader will pick that up and have that sense of it. And you use tension to get us there. Okay. Yeah. And to, to pick that analogy apart, please do. Um, the beginning is you knocking the arrow. So putting mm-hmm. the arrow, putting the arrow to the string. Spoken like a Ren Fair dork. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she is not a Ren I'll, Fair dork. I'll she is a Shakespeare you know dork. <laughs> that I have taken an archery class archery for stage and screen indeed where we shot around each other did you um, pass it wasn't a pass or fail it was just for, <laughs> for funsies i took it for funsies it was great i loved it sounds amazing um so the beginning is you knocking the arrow uh-huh. putting it to the string uh-huh. the middle is you pulling back pulling back tension on the string um and then the climax is you letting it go the end is it hitting the target exactly so if you don't pull the string back far enough, right. you're not going to hit the target. Right. If you pull it back too far, right. you're going to overshoot the target. Right. You just have to have the right amount of tension. Right. And you can't know until you start to pull slowly. Right. And so, me- <clears throat> mechanisms of tension include conflict, right? Like the obvious, like this conflict or there's unaddressed conflict between characters for sure. Um, but it can also include sexual tension. 
It can include, um, I think one sort of left behind source of tension is actually characters getting along really well. Yeah. Yes. I was going to say that. Like happiness. You see it a lot in romance. It's like when you, (laughs) when you get like, when you hit the happy relationship, the couple is really like hitting it off and everything. And then you notice that there's still like another 90 or so pages of the book or like, oh, of the book to go you're like <laughs> right. oh lord it's right. about to oof, what's tension, about to right? happen so the it, it's it's um what's the word there's a there's a word but it's like there's a contrast in yeah. what the reader's feeling versus what the characters are experiencing mm-hmm. because you and it might you might you might not even do it with like where it is in the book so much as like they might have information that the, the reader might have information the characters don't have right yeah. But it's a. I say it because I think we should all be wary of the adv- the writing advice that goes something like, "You must always torture your characters at every angle, every possible yeah. way, in any given moment," and what that results in is miserable characters. Yeah. Know? Okay. If we look at okay, ahead, let's look ahead. at Please. the movie Titanic. <laughs> we all know how that was going to end. True. And Spo- if you didn't spoiler. know, if you no, well, even if you didn't know, when yeah. you go into the movie, right. they're already like the frame story is them going to see the wreckage of the Titanic. Right. So you know this boat is going to sink. It's a bad so idea. the entire middle of the movie is establishing the characters, the lives, setting up this romance. They like they tell you you are going to see this romance happen. Do we they go see in a submarine? Uh, I don't think they go in the submarine. I think they like just take pictures. They Good. send the submarine down and it takes pictures. Uh, and that the, was smart. <laughs> the old lady um, who was on the Titanic, she they're interviewing right. her right, as well. Right, 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 right. Okay. So sense. she's telling her story about like what our experience was like when she was on that on the Titanic. So we already know she's surviving. Um, we know the boat's gonna sink. And we know that there's some kind of like great love story we're going to see. So the promise of premise is seeing this love story play out. Right. And then the climax is, which happens because of a climax, if you know, you know. Um, wow. Is the boat hitting the iceberg and then ultimately sinking. But you have that promise of premise of getting this love story. Wait a minute. On the Titanic. Oh, I'm sorry. The boat doesn't hit an iceberg because somebody climaxes. <gasps> So they're having sex. They're doing it in the car. Right. And the guy who's supposed to be keeping watch notices uh, that they are oh, going, no. notices like the fogged up windows of the car. So he's not paying attention. And then by the time he sees the iceberg, it's too late for the boat to turn. And because I was this nerd who researched all of this, the boat skims along the edge of the iceberg and it rips a hole in the side that floods all of the safety flood chambers in a way that they weren't intended to be flooded and knocks like that's what sinks the boat. Holy shit. So that's not they made that up for the movie. I was gonna say that he like, like he was retro. watching some people get it on and What's the so that retro a, re, a retro you know when they go back and like change canon <laughs> they retroactively changed it yes there's a there's a term what like retrofit no no you know i can't is. put it in the comments y'all. Right. we can't remember the word right now but yeah so but that's yeah, like okay, but like okay. the middle the promise of premise the delivery the like fun and games right. is this whole love story happening right, right. on this ship how do we get here Talking about middles. No, obviously. <laughs> we were on a, we were on like a, and then. Well, no, because uh, looking at something where you know how it's going to end. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 
it still manages to deliver this incredible tension right. throughout. Oh, yeah, yeah. Even though we all, lower, like, right. the beginning tells us what the ending is going to be. The boat is going to sink and she's going to survive. Right. But you still There's are... There's a lot you don't know. Well, it's... There's still enough... Seeing the love story happen and kind of living within these characters, going through the fun and games of Death the love story. And destruction. No, oh, no the, of, of fun and yes, the yes. fun and games of the love story and getting car. to know the people on the ship. Right, means that when the climax hits, even right. though you were expecting it, it hits different. Both climaxes. I no, I feel like I'm trying to tell a good story and you. Just I'm helping. Derailing I'm it. helping. <laughs> I'm here to help. I know, but I get what you're go saying. Ahead. Well, I, I, you got an example of you know where, where I have the, a lot. I just can't think of any of them right now, but mm. that doesn't make me lesser, you know. <laughs> okay, no, but I, I just, I just, my main point here is like ignore the advice that everyone must suffer all the time. It's very, it's very, it's, very, it's a lot. It's extreme, and it's too much of a sweeping generalization, right? So, mm-hmm. to your point, I think we can also do it. At, which I know you're you're not saying this, but I mean, I just want to add in that like you can make two characters get along and not end tragically. It's just the not knowing that really is what's going to get the audience deep into it. But if they don't, if the, two, if the characters don't get along, this is one of my pet peeves in narrative is when characters just hate each other or like have constant tension. It's not even like cute and sexy antagonism tension. It's just like mm. misery and they're just belittling each other all the time. And I'm like, why, why am I, who, if they don't care about each other, why would I care about either of them? Mm-hmm. Or if they're not um, in, in tune enough with themselves to admit they care about each other, <laughs> you know, that works up yeah. to a point. Like, I do like it when a character can't admit it, but mm-hmm. you can tell versus when they're like, they're hiding it so well that you're like, oh, actually, you really do hate the other person. Yeah. You know, what's the, what's the point? Why are we on this ride? Yeah. I, I'm just saying. It's, well, know. it's the difference between the original Beauty and the Beast where he's a little <laughs> bit of a, he's like, a, a kind of a he's not quite a jerk with a heart of gold he just is like poorly socialized in that so he doesn't know how to treat people but every time he does something rude or inconsiderate right. you see that he's like oh man I shouldn't have done right. that okay right. and then he eventually learns how to curb like, that yeah yeah, and yeah, how to yeah. behave around yeah. people and how to not be a, an asshole right. but with the live action one he's just like he's negging her the whole movie oh no right that's horrible and it's like nobody wants that. Even no. if you do turn into like a handsome prince with a chiseled jaw, you're still a dick. Like <laughs> still a dick with a chiseled jaw. <laughs> so, chiseled jaw dick. So yeah, like yeah. So that's you a know. good. I haven't seen the live action one, but that's a that sounds like a really good, yeah. Good so distinction. it's like you know, yeah. it's the difference between that, right? So. Yeah. Well, that. So yeah. Um, that's what I was doing. I was talking about yeah. different ways of of using attention. One example that I come back to a lot in my own head with my own process, and I tell this story sometimes. Um, there's a moment in Shadow Shaper that I think of as the end of the middle, mm-hmm. and it's 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 um, built in to have a kind of a climactic revelation that takes us into the climax of the story, and it's an emotional revelation. And I did all this work to like lead up to that. Right, she's looking for this person the entire the spirit for the entire book that's her quest she's trying to find the spirit she finally figures it out and there's a fight and there's a chase and she you know has to like take a literal leap of faith and flies out over the ocean on the wings of spirits and meets this character who she's been looking for and it turns out to spoiler alert be her grandmother who had died years ago and it's this beautiful moment and like the revelation hits right but the scene itself man it was broken and it was like it felt irreparably broken it was like seven pages and it was like seven pages of reveals and info dump Mm -hmm. so immediately the on the heels of this gigantic reveal that the whole book leads up to there's then all this backstory 
And I had I needed it because I needed that story to be set or that information to be clear in order for the end to work. Mm -hmm. So I had it positioned, you know, that way. And I was like, ah, I knew it was too long and I knew it was dragging and it was killing me because I didn't want to diffuse the power of this revelation, which mm -hmm. happens at the beginning of the scene. And I, 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 I did a chart of what all the information that's revealed and I ended up spreading it out across the book so there's a lot less of it. It was still five pages of an info dump and I was still struggling. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is driving me nuts. And in the, the the original scene, you know, Sierra finds this spirit, has this triumphant moment, finds out it's her grandmother, and they just embrace and sob because they've been, you know, they've been torn away from each other by this by patriarchy, you know, all this stuff. And and that's what was not working. There was no tension in the scene. They were mm -hmm. just so happy to see each other. And I realized that the only way that this scene was gonna work would there would was for there to be tension, like the, the two characters had to be at odds in some way. Mm -hmm. In this particular moment, uh, again, that's not true in every scene. I knew that that was the only solve for this scene. And I also knew, of course, immediately, the next thing you have to think is, that can't just happen for the sake of the scene working. Mm -hmm. That has to be built into the entire narrative. And that's why we say like, that's why editing is so frustrating because you make one change in one scene and the ripple effect, it, uh, ripple effect yeah. if you're doing your homework, will you know reverberate across the entire story, especially mm -hmm. for a, a pivotal scene like that. But as it happened, it really was built into the story already in some ways. And I, of course, had to heighten this, that Sierra feels abandoned by her elders and needs direction and guidance and doesn't have it. So when she finds out that someone knew all along how this stuff worked and has been out hiding in the middle of the ocean in exile, she is pissed and rightfully so. And so there was an immediately like an emotional connection that felt true and felt lived in in the story to make it work. And that made the scene pop. That made the scene alive. That allowed me to have information revealed that instead of just being like, here, let me tell you the story of our family. It was like, I have, I, the abuela, have certain things that I want to happen. And I, Sierra, have other things that I want to happen. And those things are at odds. And so the information and the reveals of it become a part of conflict, a part of tension, mm -hmm. and a part of like a tit for tat that now becomes engaging and we want to know who's going to win. We don't even know who we want to win or what all of this means, but that carries us through the scene and then gets us into the other side of it, which then explodes us into the climax. Mm-hmm. Ashe. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's it. it. So that's, um, that's my advice. <laughs> tension is your advice. Tension is my, well, I think when you're lost, find a source of tension. Yeah. And remember that that source of tension could and should be un, um, unexpected. Yeah. Like characters getting along really well or the opposite characters not getting along who you initially thought should. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I was glancing back down at my little save the cat sheet. Mm -hmm. um, What'd you find and out? And I was reminded that, so it's a three act structure. Um, right. Act one is the first 20% of your book. Right. Act three is the last 20% of your book. Act two is the middle 60% 60, of your right. book. <laughs> that's hard. So that's, that's, it's, yeah. it's hard. It's, right. it's a big, it's a big chunky, you know, it's a thick, it's a thick girl part. What also I think is helpful is thinking in terms of microcosms though, right? Like every, mm. every scene has a beginning, a middle and an end. Yeah. And every section has a beginning and a middle and the end. So mm -hmm. aiming yourself, you're both aiming towards the climax of the whole book. In your case, the climax of the whole series, which is it's added problems, but, in, but you're also always aiming towards the ending of the middle. Mm -hmm. So uh, like in my case, that one, I was, I was aiming towards that. Like I said, I was building up to this reveal 
for so much of the book that that so much of the book was the middle you know so i was mm-hmm. using the real estate of the middle to make this reveal really hit that would then explode us again into the end mm-hmm. but that's also a guideline that can be really helpful it's yeah. being like okay I'm, I'm the middle has a beginning and the be- the beginning of the middle has to do all those things that the beginnings have to do yeah and the middle has a middle and the middle has an end mm-hmm. and it, it can it can make it feel less murky yeah and like when I think of Shadow Shaper and when I think of like, well, what is the promise of premise? What is the fun and games portion? And it's Shadow Shaper. Sierra, yeah, Sierra learning how to shadow shape, mm-hmm. like the training. Yep, with Robbie. Yeah, yeah, and all of that stuff. And True. Um, any like fighting she does. Right. And, the, and then the bad guys are closing in as they're solving the riddle. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what launches her out over the ocean. Yeah. And then break into three. That's that moment is the break into three. That's what they, you know, breaking into the third act, mm-hmm. right? Is the revelation there. It's a it's sort of a false victory because she finds what she was looking for, but um Lucera, the spirit, can't go back and help her fight. So she's on her mm-hmm. own. Robbie gets kidnapped. So mm-hmm. it's you know, all these things are happening simultaneously and they're all propelling us forward towards, mm-hmm. you know, what we know this inevitable feeling of like this confrontation has to happen now. Yes. All right. Yeah. Let's close it out. So there's All no right. bonus. There's no bonus like just for special people, paid people, anything, you know, this week. Um, this is the middles episode in its entirety. It <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk next session about endings, I suppose. I guess so. That, um, that follows. Yes. Um, that is the logical uh, escalation of things. We, <laughs> we would love to hear your thoughts, mm-hmm. your experiences, uh, especially your questions. We have yeah. not had any questions in the past month. No. But we want your questions. Please ask us questions. We love questions. We love questions. And that's it. Live long and prosper, motherfucker. Oh, wait. Ooh. Nah, I didn't. I are didn't. we a... Uh, <laughs> are we... Not canon. Are we, wait, if we're PG-13, then you get one F-bomb. Oh, really? That works. No, yeah, I'm not PG-13 doing it. gets one F-bomb. I'm not wasting F-bomb. it on Spock. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll, I'll pick one later on. Okay. All right. All Have right. A, what, how do we close out? Um, I don't, I don't think we have like a no, close No, we've been playing no. with some, but we don't we, have it. It was just like, yeah. all right, later y'all. All right. <laughs> See y'all. <ya. laughs> Bye. <laughs>